0: Listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Uh, good morning everyone. My name is Clint Wright, and i most Sundays I'm on the South Campus, but every once in a while they let me come down to the Promised Land, the White House and I always love it when I get to come here. Uh, If you want to be opening your Bibles, we are going to, again, continue studying the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew 6, we're going to start in verse 11. And as we've been studying the Lord's Prayer, and as I've been listening to our other pastors teach about it, I was reminded of a quote from one of my favorite novels. It's a novel called The Brothers Karamazov. And now, y'all, just fair warning, this is one of those Russian novels. It's like as big as the old phone books. Kids, if you don't know what that is, ask your parents what a phone book is. It's like a paper Google kind of. Uh, Anyway, so it's long. If you're over 50, I don't recommend starting it. You may not finish it in your lifetime. But in that book, there's a character uh, named Father Zosima. And he's this Russian priest, kind of the spiritual advisor throughout the book. And he's one of the great characters in any book I've read. And I remembered a quote by him that I'd like to read to, to you. He's He's speaking to this young man that he's mentoring, and he says this, Young man, be not forgetful of prayer. Every time you pray, if your prayer is sincere, there will be be a new feeling and new meaning in it, which will give you fresh courage, and you will understand that prayer is an education. Prayer is an education. I love that line. So many times, y'all, with prayer, I come, I start with prayer. I'm motivated by prayer, by need I have. I want God to do something. But guess what? When the creator comes, or the created, rather, comes before the creator, guess who changes? Not him, it's me so often. And so I I come before God and I'm transformed and I'm changed and I come to a new understanding. And I think there's two big things that the Lord's, Lord's Prayer is asking us to understand. And the first Mark gave us last week in the first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer. We got an education about who God is, didn't we? And Mark was absolutely right when he said, It's all about hallowed be your name. It's all about making his name big and his name great. And so through through those first three petitions, we found out, y'all, that God is so much bigger than we often think he is. On these next three petitions, we're going to get an education about ourselves. We're going to learn a little bit about ourselves. You know, if those first three petitions taught us that God is far bigger than we often think, these three petitions are going to teach us, y'all, that we are not as secure as we think we are, we are not as innocent as we think we are, we are not as good as we often think we are. Now, I know that doesn't exactly sound like the feel-good sermon of the year, but listen, when we realize these things, we are going to find out, y'all, that this is some of the best news we could ever, ever hear. So let's read. Again, verse 11 through 13, they're short. He says this Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Y'all, one of the first things that really hit me hard when studying this passage, I mean, hit me square between the eyes, was this hard left turn we get when we get to verse 11. Because the previous verses, y'all, we're talking big deal, big picture things, right? Like the biggest deal, the biggest picture, God's name, his glory, his kingdom. And man, it's like we got this momentum going. We're praying all these big, huge things, and then we get to where we're going to ask some things for ourselves, And so it feels like we ought to ask for big things, right? Like, Lord, world peace and end hunger and save the world and use me to bring a great revival, or if it can't be spiritual, at least big, like let, help the Cowboys make it to the Super Bowl or show us who shot JR, or I don't know, something big. But that's not what we get, is it? Jesus says, here's, here's how you pray. God, we need bread today. That seems so small, doesn't it? So minuscule. Bread here, it, it means what you think it means. It means bread, but it also symbolizes Kind of our, all of our basic needs, food, shelter, clothing. And so you may remember in, the, in the, the story of the prodigal son, when the son kind of has that aha moment, you know, he's like eating with the pigs, life's not going well for him. He says, you know what? But my father's house, they have more than enough bread. So y'all, he wasn't picturing just, you know, they're like homeless and have no clothes, but just tons of bread. That bread is symbolic for all of our basic needs. And Jesus here teaches us to pray for those things. He says daily, pray for bread today, or some translations will say bread for the day to come. But think back to the, when the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness. You remember this? They're in the wilderness, and every day, manna bread would fall from heaven just for that day. And they couldn't collect it. They couldn't collect it and store it for the next day and the next day and the next day. If they did, it would go bad. And so every day, they had to wake up depending on God's provision. If literally manna doesn't fall from the sky from God, y'all, they're in the desert. There's no other options. They're just not eating that day. And this is the life that many lived in Jesus' time. Most people, is an agricultural economy, and most people would go to work and they got paid daily. you go, you do your work, and then day you'd get that day's wages, and it was just enough to stop by, stand somewhere on your way home, and buy food for the day to come so you're literally living one day at a time. And that's that's what's in view here. One commentator said, Jesus is teaching us to pray for enough for our need, not for our greed. Guys, I got to tell you, I got to confess to you, I I really started studying this and I came to a realization, I don't pray like this. I almost never pray like this. You know why? Because when I need bread, I don't go to God. You know where I go? To my pantry or to Brookshire's. Yeah. And y'all, my issue is not, can I get bread? It's which of these breads am I going to choose, right? Y'all, we have found a way to complicate bread, the simplest thing in the world. I still, I still to this day do not know the difference between the wheat, the whole wheat, the whole grain, the multi-grain, this bread has 11 grains, oh, but this bread has seven grains, and on and on and on. I find myself incapable of picking out the bread. I wish they would make a label. They just said it was like less fat bread. This bread will make you less fat. Pick this bread. That'd be great. I'll take that bread. Now, I do talk to God when I'm browsing Amazon, though, right? These shiny new electronics come up. I'm like, ooh, that looks great. Bank account's a little low. God help me out. See, I think. I live in a space that many of you live in, where I, I trust myself to pay my light bill, but God, how about some extra money for vacation or for a comfortable retirement? I can get a job and, you know, I can, I can find a way to provide for my family, but how about this job in particular, this one that's going to fulfill me, this one that's going to get me that standard of living that I want? I know I can find shelter, I can find a house, I'll find a place to live, but God, how about a little bit? bigger house? How about a little bit nicer house? How about that house? This is where, this is where we live so often, y'all. You know, we, many of us, myself included, we've put ourselves in a position where we don't think we need God for our basic daily needs. We think, I, I don't need God for that. It didn't even cross our mind to pray like this sometimes because I think I've got that covered. That's my department. You know, the question we have to ask, especially when we compare ourselves to many of the folks that Jeff shared with us this morning, many of the brothers and sisters in Christ who literally do not know where their shelter is going to come from, where their food is going to come from. How many of us truly look to God for our daily provision? And to the extent the answer is, no, we don't, is that a good thing? Is that a good thing for our spiritual life? I want to take us real quick to a passage in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 8. We're going to start in verse 11, we'll go through 14, and and, uh, then to verse 17. And here's what's happening in Deuteronomy. Uh, So the people of Israel, y'all, they've been through the desert, they've been through slavery in Egypt, they've gone through all that, and they are about to inherit the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. They are about to experience some real provision, some wealth, some comfort that God has been promising them for a long time. And so you would think, right as they're about to go in there, man, it'd be a party, it'd be God being like, this is going to be awesome, let's go, yay, yay, yay. Actually, what we get from God is a warning, a warning to the people. He says this, starting in verse 11, "...take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes, which I command you today, lest, when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them..." And when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Verse 17, beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Notice y'all. The times that our pride grows within within us, the times that we forget God, are not in our poverty. Often they are in our wealth. We think, "Hey, all this is mine. I got this covered. This is my department." And we don't. We forget to realize that. No, no, no. He is in control. It is Him who grants us all that we have. We're just stewards. Here's the warning of Deuteronomy eight. You know, this is the warning. Throughout Scripture, self reliance. Let me see this, y'all. Self reliance, our culture loves self reliance, don't we? The more self reliant you are, listen, you are going to get pats on the back. You're going to get attaboys. You're going to be the man. You're going to be the woman. People are going to love you the more self reliant you are. But here's, here's the warning Scripture gives us self reliance leads to self worship. Self reliance will lead us to self worship prayer is teaching us y'all to confess our need daily because we need to realize that we are not as secure as we think we are we never graduate from total dependence on our creator y'all remember back around 2008 there was the great recession the financial crisis most people estimate that u.s households lost the equivalent of 16 trillion dollars In just a few days' time. Now, y'all, if I've got like one of those trillion, you know, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm feeling pretty secure. I've got this covered. Just like that, gone. All of our self-reliance, all of our self-dependence, y'all, no matter how much we have, it's a house of cards So Jesus teaches us to realize that we are not as secure as we think we are. You see what's happening here? And y'all, pay attention. This is very, very important. This whole prayer is relational. This whole prayer is about our daily relationship with Jesus Christ and understanding Him rightly and understanding ourselves rightly. And to the extent, y'all, that we don't understand ourselves properly, it changes how we—it changes our relationship with Him. It changes how we relate to Him. So you see how this works. And so listen. If I, if I'm Secure apart from God, he ceases to be my loving provider. He ceases to be the creator and God of the universe who knows, knows how many hairs are on my head. And who does who does he become for me? Always well, he's, he's kind of like my insurance. You know? He's there to make sure nothing too bad ever happens. And if it does, he'll bail me out. Or he's like, he's kind of like my vending machine. You know, I, I can take care of my square meals. When I want a little treat though, hey, I'll go to him. Maybe he's kind of like my Santa Claus, you know, just the big things I want, the big things that I can't get for myself, those I go to God for. It changes my relationship with him. Sometimes, y'all, and this is no fun, but sometimes the best thing God can do for us is remind us of our total dependence on him through our physical needs. Have you ever known someone who really didn't know where their next meal was going to come from? maybe you've been there yourself. I think of, uh, there was a guy I was roommate f- with for three years in college. And uh, about once a semester, we would go home with him. He was from South Louisiana uh, and hang out at his house. And his mom was a wonderful person. And y'all, you know, when, when my roommate, when he was little, she was a single mom, two kids, husband left her suddenly, and she found herself in poverty. You know, we'd be there and she would tell these stories. She would tell these Unbelievable stories about having these kids and sitting there and they, they the refrigerator is empty. They don't know where they're going to eat and people just show up with food and just story after story after story of God providing for them miraculously. And y'all, let me tell you, and I don't have to tell you, you probably know, she was the most joyful, compassionate, loving, spirit-filled person I've ever known. And listen, I'm, I'm not glorifying poverty. I promise, look, the Lord has taking them beyond that, I promise she doesn't want to go back to that, but at the same time, she would never trade those experiences with God. She's experienced the provision of her loving Heavenly Father. So, you're, you're around someone like that, and listen, it exposes the real poverty of all my materialism. Oh, no amount of money in my account gives me that kind of security, that kind of joy, from knowing, God will withhold no good thing from me. That he loves me and will provide for me. So when we pray, when, when we have to come before the Father daily and remember, God, we need bread today. We remember that we are not as secure as we think we are, and we experience his provision. And we're reminded, y'all, that our full pantries can rob us of a meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ if we're not careful. So again, we learn we're not as secure as we think we are, and we realize that we experience his provision. And in verse 12, we find out we're not as innocent as we think we are either. And here Jesus teaches us about forgiveness. Now, there's something I want you to realize here. He's still talking about daily needs when we go to forgiveness. In the Old Testament... The Jews of the day understood this; they understood forgiveness as a daily need, every bit as much if not more than bread and this makes sense so if you think about kind of the Old Testament sacrificial system, every day they were offering sacrifices, every day they were having rituals, every day the priests were doing something at the temple trying to deal with their sin every day they're trying to do something about their sin and this shows up especially if you study the original language here so the the tense this is put in it, It's not praying for, hey, God, forgive me once in the past. It's written in, hey, God, forgive me in the past and in the present and all the presents to come. Because, look, we know we know that God died once for all of our sin. We don't have to offer sacrifices again and again and again. But you and I keep on sinning. You and I keep on doing it as Paul described. You know what? Man, that good stuff I want to do, I don't do it all that evil that I wish I didn't do, that's what I end up doing. We all have this battle against the flesh, and every day we sin. But we often don't think of forgiveness as a daily need, do we? The, the translation here in the ESV uh, says debtors. And that word, the original word, uh, it is a financial word. It is going into debt. I got my property tax notification in the mail the other day. That was a great day. Uh, get the thing, you know, it's not a small amount, okay, got to pay it. And it says on there, you know, you pay by this date, it's what you owe. If you don't pay by this date, you go more in the debt. Now you owe this. And then if you wait a few more months, now you owe this. Okay, you know, most of us probably just, it's not a small check. We don't love it. Rather spend that at Amazon, but okay, we write the check. But what if I didn't have the money in my account? What would I do? Well, I'd probably, I don't know, I'd sell some stuff, maybe work a little extra. I'd save up so, so I, could, I could pay it. And I'd just do a few extra things and pay it. What if that bill was a million dollars? And it wasn't like, hey, in a few months, if you don't pay it, we'll add tack on to it. No, tomorrow, another million. Tomorrow, another million. Every day, another million. Y'all, what if it was a debt I had no hope of ever repaying? That's the type of debt that's in view here. Not like, oh, I'll work a little harder, oh, I'll try a little better, and, and hopefully I can pay this off, no, no, no. Debt daily that you have no hope of ever repaying. You know, sometimes I think we, we struggle understanding ourselves that way, don't we? We're really seeing ourselves as debtors with no hope of repayment. I do this. Here's what I do. I I do these things, these kind of not-my-fault apologies. Do you do these? The the not-my-fault apology. Say something like, oh, I'm really sorry if something I said hurt your feelings, you know. I'm really sorry if anything I did, you know, offended you in some way. Translation, nothing was wrong with what I did. You're kind of the weakling for feeling bad about it. And in addition to not being wrong, I'm also going to be the bigger person and apologize for it, right? We kind of do those. That's not what this is talking about here. We daily run up a debt with God that we could never, ever pay back. But y'all, the rest of this verse is a real shock to the system. I wish, he, you wish there was a period there like he just said, or forgive us our debts. That's not what he says. He says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. What? No, I don't want to pray that. You want to pray that? Lord, treat me like I treat other people. No. Treat me a lot better than I treat other people. That's what I want to pray. Think about, think about what you do when someone really offends you, when someone hurts you. You know, you're driving the car and you're like reliving the conversation in your head and how terrible the person is and, and what a scumbag they are and the things you really should have said, you know, if you could have the conversation again. Do you want God doing that with you? I don't. Augustine called this verse, he said, this petition is a terrible petition. If you understand what I'm saying, it is. Here's what you could be praying. If you in your life are unwilling to forgive, here's what you're actually praying. God, don't forgive me. That's what you end up praying. Now, can that be true? I mean, doesn't God have to forgive me, like no matter what I do? Well, later, you know, in case we just wanted to dismiss this, in a couple of verses, Jesus brings it back up. he says, if you do not forgive others, your heavenly father will not forgive you. In Matthew 18, a little later, he's gonna tell this parable. You know, there's a master and servants, and you know, the master forgives the servant like a billion dollars, but then he won't forgive the guy who owes him like 50 cents. He says that shouldn't be so. And, Later at the the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he's gonna say, hey, judgment will be given you in the same measure you judge others. And so throughout the Old Testament or the New Testament and throughout Jesus' teaching, y'all, there's an unmistakable link. There's an unmistakable correlation between the forgiveness we grant and the forgiveness we receive. It's unmistakable. Okay, so how does this work? The temptation now is to think, oh, so I gotta earn it. It's a work. So if I'm a really nice guy and I go and I do a good job of forgiving other people, then God will forgive me. And if I don't, he won't. But really what we're saying is, hey, if I do forgive others, then God kind of owes me. He owes me because I was nice and I forgave others. Here's here's how I would respond to that. You really think this is something you can do on your own? Really? You really think just all by yourself, without God's work and moving your life, you can just Go and be forgiving? Because Here, here's what we tell ourselves. We, we say things like, oh, I just need more time, you know? Sweet, magical, wonderful time. Time heals all wounds, doesn't it? Wonderful time. Well, that's not how bitterness works. That's, that's why the Bible says, hey, don't let the sun go down in your anger. Don't give that, the Satan a foothold in your life because, y'all, bitterness is a cancer. It will grow over time. Nobody says, oh, time heals all cancer. Do they? No, no, no. You let time go by, that will only grow. Or we say things like, oh, you just need to decide. You need to just decide to forgive. As if it's just a matter of willpower. Well, again, you you tell me, how does that work for you? It doesn't work out well for me. How all that time dwelling on your hurt and your pain And those who really hurt you and cut you deep down, the more you dwell on it, the more you think about it, and the more you roll it over in your head and rest it in your head, is that that moving you closer to forgiveness? Probably not. Here's how how forgiveness works. Forgiveness, we are empowered by what we receive. We are empowered by what we receive. On our own, y'all, we will not forgive. We are too selfish for that. We are empowered to forgive when we experience forgiveness from Him, and His Spirit resides in us. It's like these little, you know these little like toy capsules they give little kids? I've got a four-year-old, and he's gotten one of these before. You put it in the water, and it's like this big, and you put it in the water, and it like expands a million times, and it's a fun little dinosaur or something. Y'all know what I'm talking about? That's how forgiveness works. When God's forgiveness is dropped into the water of our hearts, it expands. And so forgiveness becomes not a way we earn forgiveness, our forgiveness of others becomes a proof of God's forgiveness living in us. Jesus highlighted this in, in, a, in a great, uh, one of the great scenes of the Gospels, I think, in Luke 7. Jesus is there and he's teaching. And as he's teaching, in the room are Pharisees, so y'all can be my Pharisees over here, and disciples, okay, all in the room together. And all of a sudden, this one walks in, who's probably a prostitute, and she opens and breaks open this jar of perfume that cost more than any money any of those people had. And she begins washing Jesus' feet. And she even uses her hair to wash his feet and her tears. Well, this happens in the Pharisees over here. They're just grumbling. They, they can't believe it. This is so inappropriate. Doesn't he know how, what a sinner that woman is? How can Jesus let this go on? And then here's what Jesus does. He didn't address the Pharisees. He turns to his disciples. One disciple in particular, Simon. This, Simon, pop quiz. God forgives two people. First guy, he forgives a million dollars. Second guy, he forgives a dollar. Who's going to love him more? Peter, he can get this one. He's like, well, I guess the guy that got forgiven most. He says, Peter, you're looking at her. You're looking at her. Those who have been forgiven much, love much. And here, Here's the point. Here's what Jesus is trying to tell them. Hey, disciples, Pharisees, the woman who's washing my feet, you're all the same. You're all in need of forgiveness. The difference is this woman was willing to know her need for forgiveness and receive it. And so she is here loving me and worshiping me while you're over there grumbling. That's the difference. Here's, here's what happens with us. when it, Within every grudge, within every refusal to forgive, behind that is a story that we love to tell. And it's a story about how I'm the good guy, and they're the bad guy. I'm the victim, and they're the villain. And anything I did wrong is certainly understandable, certainly willing for forgiveness. Everything they did is incomprehensible. And we like make them out to be some other kind of species of being. If you're ever going to forgive, here's what you have to do. You have to die to that story you love to And you may be right. You may have been the victim. You may have not done anything wrong in that situation. You may be totally right. Still, you got to die out of that story and you got to pick up a new story. And it's the story of the gospel. It's the story that each and every one of us were shaking our fists at God in total rebellion, spitting in his face. And while we we're in the middle of doing that, he came down here to suffer and die. Y'all, while Jesus is teaching us to pray for forgiveness, he knows the only way that is possible is because he's headed to the cross, even though he's innocent. So You've got to pick up the story of the gospel where we are all sinners. We are all daily going into a debt we cannot pay. And here's why you got to do this. Your story and the story of the gospel will not coexist in your life together. One of them will crowd the other one out. So here's how this works. Here's how this works in our lives. If you have ceased forgiving others, you have also ceased repenting. Because you've made yourself out to be more worthy, right, different. You have set aside the story of the gospel. You know, the story of the gospel is all or nothing. If I'm in need of forgiveness, then so are we all. If Jesus died for my sins, then he died for the sins of all. And so when we come to Jesus in prayer and pray daily like Jesus is teaching us, we realize, you know what, we're not as innocent as we think we are. And when we do that, we experience his grace. We experience the gospel. Going to the last verse, here we're going to find out, you know what, we're not as good as we think we are you ever pray daily for a righteous life? You do that? Or do you think you just kind of got that covered? Like, hey, I can avoid the big sins, and then everything else will kind of take care of itself. We're Jesus teaching us, no, 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 daily, you need to pray to walk in righteousness. This verse is kind of difficult to translate uh, into English. It, It says, you know, lead us not into temptation. And so that can kind of sound like, wait, 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 could Jesus lead me to temptation? Does Jesus make me tempted? Well, we know that's not what it's saying because James, the book of James says this, hey, let no one say that God causes him to be tempted. We, do, we can take care of that for, by ourselves. Thank you very much, right? Our own passions, our own desires cause us to be tempted. And it's, you know what? It's also not saying, hey, pray to never experience any temptation. Because we know Jesus told his disciples, hey, in this world, you're going to have trouble. There you go. There's a promise. 1 Corinthians 10 says this, all of us will experience temptations that are common to all of us. This is daily. This is life. Well, this word that most most translations list as temptations, actually it does mean temptations as far as sin. It also means test or trial, as in any test of life. And so you may think about Jesus who went into the wilderness to be tested by Satan. And the book of uh, Hebrews says, Hebrews 4.15 says, hey, Jesus, He was tested in every way that we are. And so, we know that it's not just sin, and we know that we will experience it because Jesus Himself experienced it. And so, here's what this verse is saying. It's kind of saying the same thing in a negative light and then a positive light. So, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Here's what it's saying. It's saying, hey, Jesus, as you lead me, Don't let the trials I face become traps. Don't let me fall into sin's power as I experience the trials of life. And so in that view, y'all, it's not just the big temptations of sin. Y'all, again, our daily walk with Jesus is in view here. And so it's talking about every experience we have every day. It's all of our circumstances. Each and every circumstance we face, y'all, can be at once a trial to test our faith, refine our faith, bring glory to God, and it can be a temptation from Satan. And so if it's something good, the test can be, well, will I thank God for that? Will I worship God for that? Will I use it for His glory? And the temptation can be, or will I thank myself for that? Will I use it for my purpose and my glory? Or if it's something painful, if it's a really difficult trial, will I curse His name? Will I refuse to trust Him? Will I seek comfort on my own? Or will I trust His character? Will I trust His goodness? Will I continue to worship Him through this trial? And so it's our daily circumstances and our daily temptations. So Again, we see, y'all, you see how, how we understand ourselves impacts the type of relationship we have with Jesus. Because, y'all, if we just trust ourselves in all of our circumstances and situations, then he is not our good shepherd who will lead us, who will provide for us. We never get to say, with Joseph, you remember Joseph, who experienced far more trials than any of us ever will. He was sold to slavery, he was imprisoned, he was falsely accused, all of that. And then his brothers came to see him again after all those years, and Joseph looked at him and said, Hey, I know you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. And so God was my protector through all of that. He was using it for his purposes. When we walk through these trials, we walk through the temptations of life, looking to God as our protector, then we can pray. We can say with Romans 8.31, hey, if God is for us, who can be against us? Men and women, you don't feel that deep down in your bones until you've walked through the trials of life, and God has protected you and led you through them. So we remember, you know what? We're not as good as we think we are as we face all the circumstances of life. When we do that, we experience his protection, the protection of the Good Shepherd. I'll close quickly with an illustration I got from my son yesterday. We were at the house and he wanted a snack. And so I said, Yeah, that's great. What would you like for a snack? And he said, A salad. Well, okay then. A salad. That's great. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, What a great kid! What a good kid. I mean, we got Halloween candy, we got junk food in the house, and this this wonderful boy wants to eat his vegetables. He wants a salad. Well, the problem is, my son is sorely mistaken about what a salad is. Here's a salad to my son you get a bowl, and in that bowl, you put goldfish, vanilla wafers, and raisins, and that is a salad. I don't know where he got that. I guess one time he just saw people mixing up a salad and was like, oh, you just combine things, whatever you want, and you call that a salad. I don't know about y'all. I, I spend a lot of time and energy trying to be a good person. I try to provide for myself, provide for my family. I try to avoid temptation, avoid big sins. I try to face the test of life. The problem is, like my son, I'm sorely mistaken about what a good person is. I forget that I'm not as secure as I think, I'm not as innocent as I think, and I'm not as good as I think. And in these prayers, Jesus is teaching us every day to come and confess those needs. And you know why he's doing that? It's so he can say yes. See, in each and every one of these petitions, we experience two things, our need and his provision. Sometimes it's not until we realize the first, that we realize the second. And so maybe you're here today You've lived your whole life trying to be a good person. Let me set that record straight. There is only one who is good. And here's the deal he makes with us. He says, if you look to me, I'll take your sin, and you will get my righteousness. Let's pray and close. God, we are so thankful that we can come before you in prayer. Lord, we know that it is only by the blood of Jesus shed for us that we even have access to your throne, but because of his blood, Lord, you hear our prayer. We can have a relationship with you. We can have communication with you. And Lord, even though you're creator of the universe over all things and you're timeless, Lord, you know our need. You know how fragile we are. You know how many hairs are on our head. Lord, even as... Jesus was teaching us to ask for forgiveness. He was headed to the cross to make it possible for us, to make a way where we could not make a way, that we confess our need. Lord, let us live lives filled with gratitude and thankfulness for all your provision for us. Don't let our comfort, our perceptions, and all of our possessions, Lord, crowd in our life and crowd you out. May they not be used to glorify ourselves, but to teach us to glorify your name and use all that you have entrusted to us to hallow your name and make your name big. God, forgive us when we sin, when all the bad we don't want to do, we end up doing. Forgive us our debts. Lord, lead us through life's temptations and trials. Help the purity of our faith be more important to us than our comfort. We ask that you use all of our circumstances, whether they bring us pleasure or pain